one thing I have found uh, with the book of Hebrews and, and the 11th chapter is, is that there are a lot of, uh, a lot of good jokes, <laughs> uh, at least for somebody with my personality or my uh, humor. Um, former President George W. Bush was walking through the airport, and uh, he saw this man. He, he had long white hair, a long white beard, and, and he had a robe on, and he was just looking at the ceiling. And, and, and George W. went over to him, and, and he said, uh, Sir, are, are you Moses? And the guy didn't respond. He just kept looking at the ceiling. And, and, and so he, he tapped him on the shoulder. He said, Excuse me, sir. You look like Moses. Are, are you him? Again, he didn't do anything. He just kept looking at the ceiling. So a third time, he goes, Sir, I'm talking to you. Are you Moses? Finally, one of George W.'s assistants came up and, and said, uh, Sir, are you, you okay? He goes, Yeah, this guy, he won't answer me. I don't know if he can't hear me or, or if he's just trying to be rude or he doesn't like me. And so... All of a sudden, the guy with the long white beard said to the assistant, Oh, I hear him. I hear him loud and clear. And I am Moses. But the last time I spoke to a bush, I spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. <laughs> Thanks for the laughter. I appreciate that. I laughed while I was reading it initially. Well, as we continue our series in the book of Hebrews, uh, looking into the lives of the heroes that have gone before us, I want to remind us uh, kind of where we have been, where we have been up to this point. Uh, remember, the goal of these 13 weeks is very similar to the goal that uh, the author of Hebrews had for his or her uh, readers. Uh, they had... These people had come accustomed, even though they gave their life to Jesus Christ, a majority of the readers probably had already committed their life to Jesus Christ, they were accustomed in their lives to following rules and regulations and, and making sure that they had everything dotted and crossed, and, and they understood uh, how to follow those rules. But under the inspiration of, of the Holy Spirit, uh, the author laid the groundwork in the first 10 chapters explaining the absolute need of faith. The absolute need of faith. And, and, and faith is, is the path to salvation in Jesus Christ, having that enduring faith. We'll say that numerous times in this message, enduring faith, enduring faith. And, and so to solidify the author's uh, commentary, the author then goes, you know what? I'm going to tell you all about these people that you guys all know about, that everyone, everyone's going to know great detail about all these different people. And I'm going to tell you about them. And I'm going to tell you that they are not considered uh, in the glory with God because of their work, because of their efforts, but instead it's because of their faith. That's why they're with God. That's why they are considered holy at that point. And these were, these were people. The author goes all the way to the very, very, very beginning of time and goes to, the, to the, one of the first sons, Abel. And he talks about Abel and, 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 and the choice that faith cost Abel, which was life. And, and, and if we could pause for a second, we've got to remember that faith, the author is not teaching us that if you have faith in God, you will become rich. If you have faith in God, you'll become, uh, life will become easy. On the contrary, he's teaching the opposite. He's saying you have no idea what God will do in your life when you give your faith to him. Because, because our life and our, our opportunities in life to spread the gospel, to share the good news, is sometimes more beneficial when we're going through troubles and, 
and, and uh, we're having to sacrifice ourselves in, in many different ways. Remember, uh, Hebrews 10, we talked about that. Hebrews 10, 32 and forward, it says, But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. This is a great one. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully, you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Yeah, take it all. Enjoy it. The plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. It's all about endurance of your faith. Endurance of your faith. Having faith in this life because you know what awaits you after this life. Those of us who are called to serve Jesus Christ, those of us who are called to serve Jesus Christ have a better possession and an abiding one waiting for us. Amen? That's huge to understand. That's why we serve God. Because we know of the great reward that that comes. There's a great reward right this moment in my own life because I have the love of Jesus Christ. I have the Holy Spirit dwelling in me. And I know that great reward. And it doesn't matter the pain that I'm going through or the suffering that I'm going through because I can see the great reward. And it becomes a pleasure to watch someone plunder my property, whether that's myself or my family or those that I love. So the author reminds the, his audience about the absolute faith of Abel. Then he speaks of, of Enoch and tells of the wonderful story of the enduring faith that Enoch had, and he demonstrated Enoch even walked not only with God, but he walked into eternity, into the presence of God. And from the absolute faith of Abel to the, to the enduring and everlasting faith of Enoch, the author wrapped numerous chapters of the Old Testament into one verse uh, when he talked about the never-ceasing belief and faith of, that Noah demonstrated through the construction of the ark and, and the proclamation of the Almighty God that he did. So what's the main point? What, what, what's the main point that the author is trying to get to us, trying to get to you and me, trying to get to his audience? What's he trying to explain? That they had a relationship with God, not, not because of what they did. Because if that was being the measurement, if it was about what you did, none of these people would be with God. Because they did some bad things. And we could go into great detail as we have at different times. No. His whole point is because their great ability to have enduring faith in God. That's his point. We have to have enduring faith in God. And there may not be a greater example than that of Abraham that we touched on next. Many people believe that Abraham wasn't even a follower of God Almighty. When God looked and he plucked him out, he said, you, you are the man. Remind me of Paul as he's on the road to Damascus. Abraham. God gets full credit, just like he should. And our faith and our faithfulness is provided to us by God. We need God, listen carefully, we need God to intervene for us so our eyes can be opened. Mark 9.24. Mark 9.24, you remember? There was the dad, he had the son, the son was... What was uh, uh, struggling from a spirit. I think he, he was deaf and uh, maybe even blind himself. And he brings his son to Jesus and he says, I need help. I need help. I don't know what to do. Jesus, he remarked, all things are possible if you believe. 
And then the father responded in Mark 9, 24. Here's what he said. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 through 6. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What in the world am I talking about? One author puts it this way. Before God opened our eyes, before God opened our eyes, we did not see our need for a Savior. We mistakenly thought that we were good enough to get into heaven by our own righteousness. I'm good enough. I'm better than my neighbor. I serve at different places. I give money to different things. I'm good enough. We had no idea of how terrible our sins were or how holy God is. We did not appreciate the fact that the Son of God gave himself on the cross to pay our debt of sin. But then, while we were yet in such darkness, God graciously opened our eyes. With the converted slave trader, John Newton, we could sing, I once was blind, but now I see. When our kids were younger, I, I would snuggle with them even a lot more. I, I'm a snuggler. Most of you know that because I give you hugs when you come in here. Uh, Reggie, come up here. And, and, and I, I, would take, uh, I, I would take my kids, and, and I, I, Reggie's 10 now. He's getting a little too big. But I would, I would hold them, and, and I would sing this song. And, Tom, you're going to love that I'm going to sing. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. And that's what I would do. And that's what I still do. Especially when they're sick or, or sad. But the thought of, I was blind, but I can see. And it's not because of what I did. And that's the message I wanted to get across to Reggie and to Jacob, and, and Maddie, and Molly, and, and Allie. So I want to tell them that it's not me. I was blind, but now I could see. You can go to kids' church now. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful that, that God not only hears my voice right there as beautiful, but he sees me as beautiful. And he opens my eyes that I could see that he is beautiful. It's all God. God gets all the credit. He gets all the credit. And that's what the author of Hebrews is trying to help the readers to know. And sure, God gets pleasure when we follow his commandments. He loves when we follow his commandments, but not at the cost of our heart. He wants our hearts in the right place. And if we mess up, he knows our heart. We come back and we humble ourselves and we plead to him, and he loves that because he loves a heart that is soft towards him. We're going we're gonna to talk about that next week, about the hardened heart in Pharaoh. He doesn't want a hard heart. 
He wants a soft heart. One that could hear from God, that can hear from others. You and I need the help of Jesus. So we learned about Abel, we learned about Enoch, we learned about Noah and Abraham and his wife Sarah. And then we're introduced to the faithfulness shown in the dying breath of Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And now we come to the one person, the one person that the Jews that were listening to this, who were reading this book, that they would, they would point to in order to proclaim their absolute need to follow the law, Moses. Moses wrote the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He wrote the law through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, and, and, and it's called the Mosaic Law, for crying out loud. The only reason Moses is with God is because he was good at following the law. Right? No. That's the beauty of this. To, to include Moses in this piece of scripture is powerful. It is powerful. Because they're saying it's not because of the law. This is what you've been trying to do. You've been trying to follow Moses' law. No, not even Moses could follow that law, not to perfection, not to God's standards. Said Hebrews 11 tells us that Moses was considered a man because of his enduring faith. A man of God because of his enduring faith. In fact, uh, we're going to be discussing Moses this week and next week, part one and part two. I don't know how far we're going to get this week, but we're going to be talking about faith over fear. Faith over fear. And we're going to go as far as we can today, and then we're going to just cut it off, and then we'll, we'll pick it up next week, maybe add another uh, point or two. Uh, we don't normally do that, but we do. This is an elongated study of Moses and Moses' parents uh, and, and the things uh, that we see uh, in the scriptures. If you haven't already... Uh, go ahead and open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. There is a Bible in front of you if you need that. Some of you have it on your devices. <coughs> Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to be reading uh, verses 23 through 28. Again, we won't get through all those verses. In fact, as I, as I review it, we may only get through one verse today. Uh, but that's the beauty of... Uh, of preaching a, a multiple-part study. Hebrews 11, 23 through 28. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they, they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Let's go to the Lord. Uh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we do ask for your hand to be uh, on our time, uh, that you will speak uh, through me, uh, that you will get all the glory. We're thankful to serve you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I want to look at four ways. Four ways that our faith in God is demonstrated. And I don't know if we'll, again, get all the way through this, but we're going we're gonna to start, start our way down. First, the first way our faith in God is demonstrated is when we are looking into the eyes of danger and we keep our focus on the main thing. We keep our focus on the main thing. Verse 23, once again, By faith Moses, when he was born was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful. 
and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So let's make sure we're on the same page with what's happening in Egypt during this time. You guys remember the study we had with Joseph, and Joseph uh, made his way through prison and, and slavery, and, and eventually he was put second in charge of all of Egypt. <clears throat> eventually, Joseph, uh, I think 110 years, if I remember my history right, Joseph was 110 years old, he's laying on the deathbed, he blesses his children, and he dies. Along with him, his brothers eventually die, and that entire generation dies. Then a new king, a new pharaoh, gets in charge, and that, that king doesn't know Joseph. So they lose favor. In, in the meantime, when Joseph came, came to the land, he brought his family there, they got a great piece of land, great piece of real estate, very valuable. And they started having lots and lots of babies. And their multiplication factor was big. They were very fruitful. I think, what was it, 77 people came originally. And, and so, so they were very fruitful, and they started multiplying and becoming very large. And, and so the new king came in, doesn't know anything about Joseph, and, and, and he's like, man, these people are crazy. It's out of control. They're, they're getting too big. They're going to be too, too strong for Egypt to handle. And so he says, you know, here's what we're going to do. We're going to put them into slavery. We're going to make them work hard. They'll slow them down. And, and we're going we're gonna to enslave them and make them uh, make bricks and, and build our, our stores up, I think is the word scripture uses. Well, that didn't work. They actually had more babies. And so he said, you know what? Here's what we're going to do. Let's get the Hebrew midwives Let's get the Hebrew midwives, and, and when, when, when the women are given birth, as the baby is, is about to come out, look if it's a boy or a girl. If it's a boy, kill it immediately. If it's a girl, let her live. Well, the Hebrew midwives, they love God Almighty. They feared him, so they didn't do it. We could do a whole sermon, I think, just on that, on, on the midwives. This is all in Exodus chapter 1, I think, uh, if you wanted to ever review it. So they say, no way, we're not going to be involved. So then he goes, okay, I'll tell you what, I'm going to do a new rule, new commandment. I want all you Egyptian soldiers and leaders and, and people, all the newborn baby boys, you are to take. Leave the girls alone. Take the newborn baby boys, pick them up, and throw them into the Nile, the Nile River. Kill them. Kill them. Undoubtedly, when they went into the river, uh, they would, they'd be uh, drowned or, or eaten alive uh, by crocodiles. And we have to remember that nations that don't love God that don't follow God, they don't have um, a reverence for human life. I guess sometimes I question that about our own country, right? Sometimes you start questioning that. But there are countries of old and countries of current that don't care. They, uh, if, if it's a nuisance, just get rid of it. Whether it's the elderly or it's babies. There's been many times where, where there's just been standard sacrifices for you. If you, okay, at this point, anyone who has babies, we are going to sacrifice all those babies this year. Just kill them all and put them on the altar of sacrifice and kill them. Or, or, or sometimes it's, hey, we're going to control uh, how many babies are going to be born and, and we're just going to kill. Uh, Every other baby. Or you know what? Unless dad, some, some uh, nations have done this, unless dad says he really wants this baby, we're killing all babies. So all babies are, get killed unless dad says we want the baby. You see, 
if you don't, the, the, if you, you don't have a, a high reverence of human life, it, this isn't a big deal. And in Egypt, this wasn't a big deal in the sense of the Egyptian eyes. This was just normal. These were lower people. They weren't Egyptians. They were just a nuisance. So just go ahead and kill the, kill the baby boys. Kill them all. Here's a picture of a Nile crocodile. It's the second most fierce crocodile in the entire world. The Australian crocodiles are, are worse. These crocodiles literally eat anything that's in their way, including other crocodiles. The, the point that I'm getting to is that uh, the Nile was a god to them. And so were the crocodile, the, the figure of the crocodile. There were statues with a, with a crocodile head, and so the crocodiles were revered as well. And so uh, they weren't going to be polluting the Nile with these babies because they were going to be eaten. They weren't going to be able to rot, so they didn't care. They were just giving them food. Sad. So the Pharaoh tries to slow the Hebrews down by enslaving them, by commanding the midwives uh, to kill the babies, and the third way, commanding the Egyptians to kill every newborn son in the Hebrews. And this is where we finally pick up our boy Moses. So we're over 2,500 words. I, I saw, I looked at this point when I was uh, writing my sermon, over 2,500 words into the sermon, and, and I'm sure there's been more words than that. And now we're finally talking about Moses. Hebrews 11.23 starts off saying, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. Moses' parents are the only people that are actually directly named in Hebrews 11 without giving them names. You understand what I'm saying? So they're actually pointed at and yet they, are, they, they remain nameless. Uh, the uh, people, they use a large term, going into the Red Sea, so they don't name those people, but that was a large group, uh, maybe two million. Uh, here they're talking about two people, and they don't even name them in, in the book of Hebrews. But Amram and Jochebed were, were, uh, were, was mom and dad. And... and they had three children. Their third child about to be born uh, was going to be named Moses. The first child they had was Miriam, and she was an amazing leader in her own right. She's probably about 12 years old when, when Moses was born. We'll get to her probably next week. And, but, but Miriam was a prophetess. Uh, she was the, um, the chief singer and Miriam made many mistakes in her life of jealousy and different things like, like that. Uh, in fact, she, she, seven days, God made her into a, a leper, if you remember that story, and, and really uh, uh, humbled her. But she sang a song, uh, and, and scripture, one author put it, she sang... The song of Moses, but it was also the song of the Lamb. Remember that song she sang as they were coming out of the Red Sea? It got me to thinking about Revelation 15. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels and seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and number its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. Think of that picture. And they song, listen to this, and they sing, this is what they're singing with the harps, and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, 
for your righteousness, your righteous acts have been revealed. Beautiful. Song of Moses, song of the Lamb. Miriam was the oldest, and then there was Aaron. Aaron uh, eventually became the high priest. All three of, all three of Amram and, and Jacobed's kids, huge factors in the Exodus, huge factors in our faith today. Pretty amazing to watch what their children accomplished through the help of God. Remember, God eventually talks to Aaron as Moses is making his trek back into Egypt, and he says, hey, go out. Go out into the wilderness and meet, meet your brother Moses. He needs to talk to you. Because remember, Moses, he couldn't speak too clearly, or, or he had some speech impediment, or something was going on, and, and we'll get to that another day. And, and, and so Aaron was going to be his spokesperson. I like to call him, Aaron was the right-hand man of Moses. And he was, he was a few years older than, than Moses. And then there was Moses. And the impending birth of Moses, he, they, it had to scare Jochebed and Amram a lot. There had to be some fear there. When they heard that all the babies were being killed, and maybe they even saw their neighbor, that baby being thrown into the Nile, you start to wonder, did God come and speak to Amram and Jochebed? That would be only assumptions. We don't have anything written in Scripture about that. They, it says when, when he was born, they saw he was beautiful. They don't know if he was a boy or girl before uh, he was born unless they were told by God or an angel. Or I, I, I don't know. What I do know is that they saw something different about their son, and they were willing to risk everything because of him. Everything to, for his protection. Did God reveal somehow to mom or dad or both that Moses was going to lead the people towards the promised land, out of slavery? I don't know. Hebrews eleven twenty three again says, By faith... Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. I don't know what they did. What did they do for three months? Did they dress him in girls' clothes? thought about that yesterday. I, I don't know. How do you hide a baby for three months? Was it in a special box that had air holes in it and uh, they soundproofed it? Did they hide him in plain sight? I, I, don't, I don't know what they did. All I know is that after three months, it became too risky for the youngster. It became too risky. And it was a risk to mom and dad, too. Most assuredly, if mom and dad were caught hiding this baby boy, they would be killed as well. And perhaps Miriam and Aaron would die, too in the process, and definitely Moses would be tossed into the Nile as a three-month-old. Well, the main thing, see, that's what, that was their focus. That, that's where we get to that, is, is, is they have a focus, not a danger. And this is what we have trouble with. We focus in on, on the fear, on the danger that's at hand. Instead... We are to keep our focus on the main thing. And you notice that there was a capital M on that, on the main thing. The main thing is God, their devotion to God, their devotion uh, to the nation, their devotion to their family. What's the main thing in your life? What's the main thing in your life? Have you thought about that? I read a lot of books, enjoy a lot of books. Uh, there's a guy named Stephen Covey, wrote seven, uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Some of you may have uh, read that book. 
but he also co-authored a book called First Things First. And in that book, he has a, he has a chapter, and it's titled, How Many People on Their Deathbed Wish They'd Spent More Time at the Office? Great title. And right at the end of the book, here's what Covey says. He said, I deeply believe that if we attend to all other duties and responsibilities in life and neglect the family, it would be analogous to straightening deck chairs on the Titanic. Think of that. He continued, Stephen Covey continued, and he said, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Some of you probably have heard that quote before. So write this question down. What is the main thing in my life? Write that on your, on your notes or whatever. What is the main thing in your life? And, and go ahead and, and write your answer. And, and it may behoove you to write three different answers. Maybe you have three main things. I was doing this this um, task, this uh, challenge to a bunch of teenagers, and the one kid goes, hey, hey, Phil, hey, Phil, do you want me to write the three main things that I should be doing or the three main things that I really have in my life? said, so that is a beautiful question. I said, do both of them. So he did both of them, and, and, I, and I said, okay. So this, this paper here, this is the stuff that, that you think you should be doing as your main thing. Okay, let's move that paper to the side. And this is the, the thing that, the three main things you're doing right now. He goes, yes. I said, okay, take this piece of paper, rip it up, and throw it away. I don't even know what they are. We know what the main things in our life should be. With God being number one, our focus on God, on serving him, and our faithfulness to him has to be number one if you are going to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And then you could, you could add whatever else and... and and then you figure out in your life, how do I do those things? And part of that is saying, I can't. I need God's help. That's a perfect answer. And we're not looking just for perfect answers. We're looking for answers that are based in Scripture. Because that's our guidance. That's our guidance. Well, then we pick up the story in Exodus chapter 2. That's where they, they actually tell us about Moses being born. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. This is our second point. Our faith in God is demonstrated when we let go and fully trust in the everlasting. When we let go and fully trust in the everlasting. Remember, Moses wrote the book of Exodus. Uh, he wrote the book of Genesis, obviously with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And when he wrote these books and the other three uh, that start off our Old Testament, we know that he used the word Teba only twice. We talked about this when I preached uh, about Noah. He used the word Teba. If you recall, Teba was, was the word he used for ark, the Hebrew word for ark, when God was telling Noah to build. And then here in the second chapter of Exodus, the Holy Spirit used the word Teba to describe the basket that Jochebed made for her son. The only two times that word is used. Teba means a chest, a place of refuge. 
One box saved mankind. Another box saved Israel. And both boxes were made and designed by God in order to protect the lineage of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it took a significant amount of faith uh, for, uh, to, to first protect the baby boy, Moses. It took faith to hide him, to trust that, that somehow he was going to be safe, somehow he's going to be protected. And then it took a lot of faith took a lot of faith to put baby Moses in that basket and let him go, trusting that God was in control of the situation. Again, I don't know if Jochebed or Amram were given any specific instructions. Noah was. Noah got great detail of how to build his ark. What was Jochebed? fed instructions. We don't know that on how to build this, this lifeboat for Moses, this waterproof basket, this protection from the wild animals. But when you fully trust in God, when you, you hand over everything and you trust in God, it doesn't mean that you get rid of logic or ingenuity. It doesn't mean that you just do things blindly, like, okay, God, you just do it. I'll wait here. You take care of it. Jacobed, she couldn't have just thrown Moses into the Nile. Okay. God said he'll be safe. The, the young man would, would, would drown or be eaten alive. You don't, when you, when you have faith in God, it doesn't mean that you throw everything else out. She needed a plan of how to do it, how to move forward, and that's part of her faith in God. She did. She laid her three-month-old in a, in a basket and trusted. And I mean, this is a huge, huge deal. God would take care of the boy. Doesn't that remind you of Abraham? Remember Abraham walking up and with Isaac, and just like I was holding Reggie earlier, maybe he carried him for a little while because Isaac was getting tired, and then maybe they were holding hand in hand, and, and Isaac looks up at Daddy and says, Dad, we're, we're going to go do a sacrifice, but, but where's, where's the sacrifice? Oh, it'll be up there, son. And he was holding the hand of the sacrifice. But Abraham knew... He was beyond confident that God had one of two plans. He was either going to resurrect Isaac or he was going to provide an alternative sacrifice. Faithfulness. Same as Jochebed had at this moment. Same as Amram had as the dad. Yep, today's the day. I could see him as a family huddled around loving on little Moses. You got Miriam probably crying. Aaron, like, not knowing what's going on. And there's baby Moses, maybe even looking up and smiling. And mom, today's the day. Today's the day we let Moses go. But in both cases, Abraham and Jochebed, faith was the focal point. Faith is the focal point of all this talk, friends, and so many of us lack that in different ways. In different ways. We don't have faith that God can bring us through a difficult time. We don't have faith that God cares about our situation. We believe that our situation is unique to everybody else's, and we lose faith. We lack faith knowing that God will bring us through. And you know, some of us even question our faith because we don't see God working or we don't see him working the way we think he should be working. So we lose faith because it's not going the way we thought. We aren't gaining favor 
We keep getting in trouble. Things keep happening. So we must not be faithful enough. Friends, we're not preaching prosperity here. Because many people who have loved the Lord are, are poor as dirt, are maimed, can't see, can't walk. Many people who, who love the Lord have horrible situations going on. It's all relative, friends. God is God no matter what. God is, is perfect. Some of us complain because God's not providing a way out of something. And we're losing faith. Reminds me of the, the Christian man who, who was at his home and, and the news reports came on and oh, there's going to be a huge flood. Everyone needs to evacuate. And, and he didn't. He, he goes, oh, okay, God, I trust you. You're, you're going to save me. And then his neighbors knocked on the door. Hey, we've got room in the car. Come on with us. No, 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 I'm going to trust God. He's going to save me. And the water starts coming in his door. And, and, and then all of a sudden, the neighbor comes by with a canoe. Get in the canoe. I, I, I'm going to save you. And he goes, God is going to save me. I trust in Jesus Christ. Finally, the, the floods start coming up. He goes to the second floor, and, and here comes uh, the police boat. They come by, and, and, and he goes, no, go save someone else. God will help me. He gets to the roof, and, and finally a helicopter comes by. They drop down the, uh, the ladder, and he goes, guys, I've got it. God is going to save me. And then his house crashes, and he drowns, and he goes to heaven. He goes, God, I was faithful. I loved you. I, I trusted in you. Everything that you asked, I, I tried to serve you. I know that you're the king. Why wouldn't you have saved me? What? I, I told you on TV. I sent you a car. I gave you a canoe, a boat, and a, even a helicopter, and you denied all of them. You see, there's so many times there's a way out of whatever situation that is in our life. And we think that our view, whatever that happens to be, is the right view, and we're not seeing the bigger picture. God is perfect. God is absolutely perfect. Letting go doesn't mean that you don't use your God-given logic. It doesn't mean that you just throw out wisdom. Like Moses' parents, our faith in God is demonstrated when we look into the eyes of danger and we keep our focus on the main thing. And when we let go, we eventually let go and we fully trust in the everlasting. But we have trouble letting go. We think we can control. Like Abraham and Sarah, remember? They were told, they were given the promise that they were going to have a baby, but then they introduced Hagar. They, they figured out a different way to do it than what God had planned. And they eventually had Ishmael. It was a different way. It wasn't the way God wanted it. I wonder what our world would be like if that didn't happen. God has a plan for you. I promise you that. I don't know what that plan is. I don't know what the plan is for me. I look to God and I pray to God and I ask him for guidance. But our, like our scripture today, we can be assured of one thing, that we are under attack by the evil one. Satan would love nothing more than to throw us into the Nile. Satan would love it if we would drown in our own self-pity or that we'd be eaten alive by the things of this world. Our job is to seek protection by trusting in our Heavenly Father, knowing that He can keep us safe. Now, you safe very loosely. That's the beauty. We get to humble ourselves before God, say, it's all yours. Teach me, share with me, guide me. Well, let's finish, our, finish for today. We'll hit the last two points uh, plus another one next week. Faith over fear is our focus. Faith over fear is our focus. David said in Psalm 56, When I am afraid, 
I put my trust in you. David fought a bear, a lion, a big old giant. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Our faith in God is absolutely crucial. Do you have faith? Do you have faith? This week, I realized, your pastor realized over and over and over and over that my faith in Jesus Christ is absolutely crucial. I need my faith in Christ. Nothing else matters. My faith in Jesus Christ is all that matters. And maybe you're like me. I went to this verse several times this week. I wonder if uh, it was in the heart of Amram and Jochebed too. And we'll close uh, with this verse. Philippians 4, 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord. When? Always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. We are eternally thankful for your love for us. We're eternally thankful for the life of Jesus. We're eternally thankful for the death and the resurrection and the ascension of your Son. We're so thankful that you have given us the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us. I pray, God, that we could be people of faith, people of faith and not of fear, not fearing what is before us, but trusting in what has already gone ahead of us, trusting in you, the everlasting. We give you all praise, glory, and honor. Please humble us, humble us, humble us. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, if you're able and you're led, let's stand and let's respond.